everyone. Hope you had a happy Halloween and welcome back to the Deek Speaks. I'm your broadcast editor, Soren Chowdhury. I know you may say, Soren, this is kind of late. Isn't this more Halloween-centered? I say Halloween is a mindset. You, like Halloween deserves to be a year-round thing. I'm sorry. I know it's my favorite holiday and whatever. I just I love dressing up and like all of. I just love the fallness of it all. Like I love fall. So this one's a little more. I mean, it's fall, but it's also kind of more Halloween-centered. But I think it's it's still festive and therefore it still works. You know, because also yesterday I was. Um, I burnt my hands with a hot glue gun, and so I completely forgot to make this, because hot glue gun. So, um, in this episode, we have Anna talking about one of my personal fall favorites, Over the Garden Wall, and we have Tejo talking about the mock trial team, connecting it back to our school a little more, which is nice. And so, I will let Anna talk about the wonderful show that is Over the Garden Wall. Hi everyone, my name is Anna, I'm a senior at American High School, and welcome to my first ever segment on the podcast. In honor of Halloween and October and, you know, fall, I thought it would be fun to talk about one of my favorite shows of all time called Over the Garden Wall. So, just for a little bit of background for those of you who don't know, Over the Garden Wall is a Cartoon Network animated miniseries which was released in 2014 and it aired all of its 10 episodes in a span of 5 days. The series follows two brothers, who are named Wirt and Greg, and as they traverse their way through a mysteriously magical forest to find their way home and avoid the fearsome antagonist known as the Beast, who preys on the young and the lost. So, for those of you who haven't watched the show and probably want to or will, I recommend you don't listen to the rest of the segment because it is literally all spoilers. Um, as well as for those who are sensitive to the, that kind of content, there is a very, very brief mention of suicide. I will let you know when it is about to happen, and it'll be like one second long, so you can skip over it if you need to. Um, but yeah, uh, so you watch the show, and you know you're thinking, "Oh, this is a cute show. This is nice." But on a rewatch, you can kind of notice like a lot of darker undertones, and I noticed that, and I kind of went through it, and I realize that oh my god over the garden wall is a modern retelling of dante's inferno so uh for those of you who don't know inferno is written by this italian guy named dante alighieri and it is a complete recounting of his journey through hell and back the principal part of his journey is his description of his travels with the nine circles of hell which we will examine later um which each represent a sin and being the residents of those who committed these sins in their lifetimes, which is a quick, you know, summary of what it is. Um, it's often referred to as like fan fiction of like the Bible, but you know, interpret it as you will. Um, yeah, so I kind of want to, I, I thought it would be fun to kind of examine the parallels between these two and see how uh, the director of Over the Garden Wall used this, you know, really old, kind of like boring poetry book to write this children's show (laughs) that, you know, put a completely new spin on the entire story of it. So let's look at the characters first. Um, So starting off with our protagonist, uh, who is named Wirt, otherwise known as our main man, Dante. 
So you can see in both of the characters that they're very much the intelligent type. They both like poetry, they, they prefer to think rather than they act. And they're both kind of like the nerdy guy in the story, which isn't a bad thing, but you know, it's a thing. Um, they also both have a love interest in their respective stories. So Wirt likes this girl, Sarah, from his hometown, and Dante likes Beatrice, who is kind of like a guide throughout, throughout hell. Uh, they both have red hats, you know, which is very important, and most importantly, they're both the protagonist of their respective stories. And if that's not a clear parallel, I don't know what is. Um, and then you've got your trusty sidekick. So in Over the Garden Wall, his name is Greg, and in Inferno, his name is Virgil. So they're both kind of like this musical companion to the main character. You know, Greg likes to break out in song all the time, and Virgil is a bard. The similarity between these two is a little more lax, but it's still present. And you can still kind of figure it out with like a broad understanding of each. Um, and then you've got the character of Beatrice. So Beatrice in Over the Garden Wall acts as a guide for Greg and Wirt as they traverse their way through the forest. And her parallel in Inferno is actually also named Beatrice. So it didn't take a long time for me to figure out who that was. Uh, Beatrice is also, you know, the guide uh, through Inferno. For Dante, so they're both the guide kind of character. And fun fact, they're actually both redheads. Um, and finally, we've got our antagonist, and over the garden wall, he's named the Beast, and for now, he's named Lucifer. So, in Over the Garden Wall, the Beast is portrayed as kind of this like shadow man with big tree horns and multiple faces, and Lucifer has many of the same qualities. He has horns, he has multiple faces, he can become shadow. Um, they're both tricksters and they're both deceivers, you know, they're both not really great guys. And one of the more interesting parallels that I saw was that Lucifer is known to feed on human souls to, like, survive. And the Beast has that same quality, just in a more, like, convoluted way. So the Beast, the life of the Beast runs on the light of this lantern. And this lantern can only run from the oil from these certain trees. And these certain trees are made from, ding, 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 human souls. So in that convoluted sense, they both feed on human souls. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it for all the main characters. The other, ones are, the other characters are minor and they're not as important. If there's anything else, I'll mention it throughout. But uh, for now, let's just get into the episodes. So each episode is representative of one step of Dante's journey through Inferno. So, for example, episode 1, called The Old Grist Mill, is essentially an introduction or the entrance of hell as Dante told it. So basically, in Over the Garden Wall, Wirt and Greg find themselves in this forest with little to no idea of how they got there, just like how Dante found himself in a forest right outside the gates of hell with no idea how he got there. And uh, one of the bigger kind of similarities as I saw was that in Dante's Inferno, right as he's about to enter hell, there's this big sign that reads, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. And you can kind of see the same thing in Over the Garden Wall, though it's done a little more subtly. So, we're in Greg, after they escape, you know, peril at this old mill, the lumberjack who lives there says, The beast is the death of all hope. And um, it's kind of, you know, it's a definitely an interpretive kind of, switching up of words or whatever you want to call it but I definitely still think it's an intentional design of the director to do that and you know there's different other like similarities between the two like Wirt and Dante both got attacked by this dog slash wolf like creature they were saved by their counterpart like Greg and Virgil respectively but yeah so episode one is kind of just like the precursor 
of each story. And the next nine episodes is where it kind of gets interesting because each of the nine episodes that is left is representative of one circle of hell and I'll walk you guys through that and kind of talk about what each circle of hell is and how it's portrayed in Over the Garden Wall. So episode two is called Hard Times at the Huskin Bee and it is representative of Limbo. So Limbo is where the unvirtuous and, you know, the unbaptized go to this eternal waiting room where they're essentially waiting forever for a salvation that will never come. This is portrayed uh, in Over the Garden Wall in a much more lighthearted fashion. So basically, Wirt and Greg, on their journey home, arrive in this town called Pottsfield, and they stumble upon this barn that's, that's filled with these skeletons wearing pumpkin heads who are celebrating a harvest. But the twist here is that the harvest will in reality never come. So in the same way that people in Limbar are waiting for salvation, people in Pottsfield are waiting for the harvest. There's also the concept of that people who come to Limbo don't ever get to leave. And this is seen by a direct quote from Over the Garden Wall in which one of the pumpkin heads says, folks don't tend to pass through Pottsfield, which is kind of, you know, connoting that once you come to Pottsfield, you can't ever leave. Um, there's also the representation of Minos, who is the judge of the damned in the underworld, and he kind of decides where everyone goes. And he's represented by this character named Enoch, who's kind of like the leader of these skeleton pumpkin people. Um, so Enoch punishes Wirt and Greg for trespassing, destruction of property, and you know other crimes that Wirt and Greg have supposedly committed and he sentences them to dig some holes. So in that sense, he's kind of judging and deciding where he, where they should go and what they should be doing to repent. Uh, moving on to episode three, which is called School Town Follies and is representative of lust. So as the name suggests, people who are in the lust circle of hell are guilty of being overly lustful or adulterous, and they are sentenced to be eternally blown by this very, very harsh wind. It's like a very bad wind. It's not like a breeze, it's very bad. Um, and this is actually seen in the beginning of the episode. So Wirt and Greg are walking through this forest and they find the schoolhouse. And as they're entering the schoolhouse, you can hear this really harsh wind going on outside. And you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very minor detail, but it's, it's a pretty clear allegory. Um, so Wirt and Greg come to this schoolhouse and they meet this school teacher called Miss Langtree. And Miss Langtree is actually the prime representation of lust throughout this episode. So she has this obsession with her lost love who is named Jimmy Brown and she spends the entire episode yearning. She talks about him. She has like this whole musical number dedicated to him. You know, they're eventually reunited, but it's very clear that she's lust lusting for this man. The connection is a little bit more shallow, but it's a connection nonetheless. Moving on to episode 4, which is entitled Songs of the Dark Lantern and is indicative of gluttony. So in Inferno, uh, gluttony is described as being like too overindulgent or being too gluttonous in their lifetime. And these people who are guilty of this sin are sentenced to this eternal rain and like ice and sludge and just dreary conditions and they can't ever escape it. So as seen in the last episode, this is evident in the weather conditions of this episode, where and Greg have to go to this inn to escape this pelting incessant rain that's just come out of nowhere. Um, one of the cuter relations I saw that was that in Over the Garden Wall, where and Greg have to, while they're entering the inn, they have to kind of push this dog out of the way who's laying in front of the door and making it hard for anyone to go in, like kind of like a little guardian. 
And this is, he's actually a direct representation of Cerberus, who is a guardian of the third circle of hell, Gluttony. Um, who's also a dog, you know, albeit he does have three heads, but you know, a dog nonetheless, of course. Um, but yeah, moving on. The gluttonous aspect of this um, episode can be seen primarily with the actions of Greg. So Greg is seen continuously bringing food to the table, like by the end of the musical number that is performed, there's like a big pile of plates on the table, but no one has ever seen actually eating the food. Besides like the obvious food aspect of it, there's also the, just the overindulgent aspect of it. So uh, every single person that they encounter in the inn is very indulgent and they boast about themselves and their lives and their abilities. So an example is when uh, describing the tailor, they say that the tailor's here by chance, he'll stitch your trousers, hold your belt, and find couture or friend. So it's obviously a, uh, a compliment to the tailor's abilities, you know, the praise of the tailor. And it's just kind of like that for every single character within the, within the inn. Nearing the end of the episode, where it is actually labeled as a pilgrim, which is parallel to Dante's trip through hell being entitled a great pilgrimage so in the sense that where is a pilgrim dante is also a pilgrim moving on to episode five which is entitled mad love and is representative of greed so those you know who are greedy and who you know were you know stingy with money or whatever are entitled to not entitled but they're you know condemned to live within this circle of hell forever and the qualities of greed are most predominantly seen in the character of Quincy Endicott in Over the Garden Wall. So Quincy, the, Quincy Endicott is extremely wealthy. He only cares about wealth. He's always working to expand his mansion. You know, he has so much money, but he always wants more, but he's never really happy. So Wirt and Greg actually get involved with him because they need two coins to catch this ferry on the river. Uh, because this river will allegedly lead them home according to Beatrice who is their guide leading them through you know the forest um, And this is a direct allusion to the personage of Charon who is the ferryman of the river Styx So they need Wirt and Greg need two gold coins to pay the ferry to take them across the river as Lost souls would need to pay a gold coin each for him to ferry them across the river Styx Moving on to episode 6, which is entitled The Leviant Frogland, and is representative of anger. So in this episode, Wirt and Greg actually board the ferry without the coins because they were unsuccessful in getting them from the Quincy Endicott from the last episode. Um, but this is much like what Dante and Virgil did. They were able to board Caron's ferry without paying. Um, so the anger aspect is a little bit more scattered uh, within the episode. Um, but essentially, you know, Wirt and Greg are on this ferry, and there's a bunch of frogs, and they're not supposed to be there, so there's these angry, angry policemen chasing them around. That's where you get the first taste of the anger that is contained within the sixth circle of hell in Inferno. And there's also the aspect of the frogs themselves. So the frogs, you know, they're dressed up all hard, like fancy and schmancy, and they want to listen to this band. And whenever the band stops playing, they get really mad. But whenever it's well, they, they start playing again, they kind of get pacified. You know, it's a very loose, a very loose like parallel between this episode and greed and anger. Um, but you know, I guess you can't be perfect all the time. 
Um, moving on to episode 7, which is entitled Ringing of the Bell, and this is representative of heresy. So it's more of like the overall mood of the episode, you know, it's kind of ma it's kind of witchy, it's kind of like sorcery, there's a lot of magic going on, you know, witchcraft could be considered heresy because, you know, witchcraft is like following the devil or whatever, you know, they're condemned to be burning alive, burned alive, like, you know, witch trials or whatever. Um, but yeah, so, you know, basically there's, we're in Grey going to this house with this girl who's like kind of witch and like her aunt who's also kind of like witch. But anyways, there's also just like the entire subplot of exorcism, you know. Um, Martin Greg trying to help the demon get out of this girl that they find. Uh, yeah, this one's a bit of a shorter one, but that's all I had. Uh, moving on to episode 8, which is entitled Babes in the Wood. And this one is a ticket of violence. This is where the show starts to get kind of like deeper and a little bit darker. And you start to realize that, hey, this isn't just like a regular kid show. This is like, you know, what's going on here? You know what I mean? Here's the trigger warning. It's about it's gonna be about 20 seconds of me talking about this, so just skip ahead if you're uncomfortable. Just you know, a brief mention of suicide and stuff. So in Inferno, uh, in the circle of hell of violence, uh, Virgil and Dante come across the wood of suicide, which is a wood composed entirely of trees of people who have taken their own lives. So they basically transform into trees. So this is seen with Wirt because in this episode, Wirt kind of like gives up on going home. He's angry with Greg. He's angry with Beatrice who betrayed them. And he's like, you know, they're completely lost and they don't know where they're going. So he kind of just lays down against this tree and he's becoming absorbed into this tree. So he's kind of indicative of that wood. Um, the violence is very minimal in the episode. So I had trouble kind of coming up with something, but um, Greg in his dreams is at nor is at war with the North Wind, so there's the literal violence aspect of it, um, but it's a very loose, very loose comparison. Uh, episode nine is where you know it gets spicy, it gets real spicy. It's entitled "Into the Unknown." It is representative of fraud. So basically, in this episode, we get kind of like a flashback to what happened before, where and Greg were lost in the wood. You know, they're just living their regular lives. You know. Wirt's in high school, I'm pretty sure Greg is in elementary school, yeah. They're just living their lives, you know, going to a football game. Uh, living their Halloween evening out. Um, but the aspect of fraud is seen predominantly in Wirt. Uh, because Wirt is trying to be someone who he's not for Sarah, who was the love interest that I mentioned earlier. You know, he's trying to change who he is, kind of become like this cooler, you know, more idealized version of himself that he thinks he needs to be to be with Sarah. Um, and this one's a little bit more of a stretch, but you know, because this episode takes place on Halloween, you can kind of incorporate that fraud aspect into, you know, people wearing costumes, not really being who they are, you know, being someone else kind of. Yeah, there's also a, a theme of theory, which kind of ties into fraud as well. So there's attention drawn to these two kids who are dressed up as burglars which is, you know, kind of a minor detail, but it's still a detail. Then there's Greg, who steals a rock from the garden of Nathaniel's, who he was just doing some yard work for. Um, so, you know, there's also that type of fraudulent behavior. So in Inferno, um, the punishment for those who commit fraud in their lifestyle is being thrown into a pit of darkness. Um, and over the garden wall, there's kind of this like metaphorical darkness. So because we're and Greg both create like both committed this fraud, you know, we're trying to be someone who's not Greg stealing a rock. 
they're thrown into the forest at the end of this episode. So falling into the unknown, falling into the metaphorical darkness in a sense. Um, episode 10 is where it all comes to an end, entitled The Unknown, and this one is representative of treachery. So treachery is the last circle of hell. It is completely frozen over. Those who have committed treachery in their lives are sentenced to being frozen from the neck down forever, only you know having their heads unfrozen. So it's basically like this barren tundra, and we see that in uh episode 10 of over the garden wall you know the scenery is very you know frozen over it's very cold you know there's it's literally a tundra for some reason like it's just like a barren anyways <laughs> so um as i mentioned of the, the punishment is to be trapped in ice and unable to move the this can be seen as greg greg who was taken by the beast who was tricked by the beast to come along with him is now kind of trapped and is unable to move, and is having the life sucked out of him, you know. Um, and, you know, then comes our big climax moment where in Inferno, Dante confronts Lucifer on the frozen lake, and in uh, Over the Garden Wall, work kind of does the same with the beast on the frozen lake again, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like a direct parallel. And in the end, you know, both escape. So... I don't know i just i really love this show because it's such like a for the first few episodes it's so like just childish and just pure joy and it's so cute and the music and it's just like such like a cottagecore vibe and then when you start to get into it, it gets darker and darker and you realize wait something's not right here that kind of juxtaposition really makes this show not only unique but just fun to watch every time around um, you know, I've rewatched it personally like six or seven times. No shame at all. Um, but yeah, um, if you guys have stuck around for this long, I thank you so much. Um, if you didn't understand anything about what I was saying, you should probably go watch the show. It's really good. It's on HBO, I'm pretty sure. You know, borrow your friend's HBO account if you don't have one. You know, do whatever you can. It's the perfect time of the year to watch this show. You know, the autumn vibes are really on point, so um yeah thank you so much for tuning in and i hope you guys all have a wonderful day hello everyone hope you had a happy halloween and welcome back to the deke speaks i'm your broadcast editor soren chowdhury i know you may say soren this is kind of late isn't this more halloween centered i say halloween is a mindset you, like, Halloween deserves to be a year-round thing. I'm sorry, I know it's my favorite holiday, and whatever. I just, I love dressing up, and, like, all of, I just love the fallness of it all. Like, I love fall. So, this one's a little more, I mean, it's fall, but it's also kind of more Halloween-centered, but I think it's, it's still festive, and therefore, it still works, you know? Because also, yesterday, I was... Um, I burnt my hands with a hot glue gun, and so I completely forgot to make this, because hot glue gun. So, um, in this episode, we have Anna talking about one of my personal fall favorites, Over the Garden Wall. And we have Tejo talking about the mock trial team, connecting it back to our school a little more, which is nice. And so, I will let Anna talk about the wonderful show that is Over the Garden Wall.
Hi guys, today we're going to be discussing a club at American High known as Mock Trial. I'm Tejo Prabhu and I'm one of the captains along with Kaden Kwan, Mitali Sarnabut, and Zarong too. So I guess the first thing that I should address is what is Mock Trial? I've described it to people so many times that it kind of feels rehearsed at this point. But mock trial is basically what it says in the name. It's a club that simulates a real trial for civil and criminal cases. How it works is we split our own team into a defense and prosecution, and then each side is given the task of building up their case based on a given case packet that entails witness statements, a fact situation, and a lot of other relevant information. Um, some of the roles that we have within the team are the roles of attorneys who basically have the responsibility of creating cross and direct examinations and closing and opening statements. Um, these words might not make any sense to you right now, but I guess the easiest way to describe them is that they're material that we write in order to prove our case. Directs and crosses are basically a set of questions, while opening and closings are speeches where we lay out what we're going to prove and then tie it all together in the end. And the purpose of all this material is to get out as much info into the court as we can so that we have enough to make these connections that help our side and convince the judge to rule in our favor. Um, we usually practice with these and improve them through scrimmages in which we compete against other schools. So some examples of that would be um, scrimmages with Carmel, Westview, Redwood High, La Jolla High School. So sometimes they're far away, but recently they've been more online because of COVID, but I think we're getting back into those in-person scrimmages, which is really great because it's much better practice for actual competition season, which happens in like late January to February. And then depending on how well we do, we can progress to state, which will take a longer time. Um, for me personally, mock trial has allowed me to become closer to a lot of people. And a great example of this is me and Kaden, who entered the team at the same time in ninth grade. And even though we didn't really know it at the time, three years later, we'd both become captains and like the closest of friends. Um, and even like it, it's also provided for like a lot of academic opportunity. Um, like, for example, we have one alumni whose name was Rishab Shastri. You guys might know him. I think he visited American recently for the alumni panel. And through pre-trial, which is one of the roles as an attorney in mock trial, he was able to gain an internship from a judge, so that was really cool. And he's currently pursuing law in college. So some other accomplishments of mock trial has been um, the fact that we made it to state level competition in 2019. It did get canceled because of COVID, so we weren't able to like completely um, compete and pursue that. But I think we have a really good chance this year because, again, competition's going to be in person and we also have a really great team right now. So that's super exciting. Um, so there's one of our newer members that I would like to have as a guest speaker. His name is Socket Polodosu and he recently joined the team this year. So, Socket, what is your favorite thing about mock trial so far? Yeah, okay. Um, favorite thing about my crowd? Uh, probably... Yes. Well, it could be one of two things. It's either the, uh, you know, community, the kind of, like, team... Teammanship, I don't know what you call it, but, like, mm-hmm. the, this, the, the bond that, I guess, 
we've slowly been building. Yeah. Um, and also getting to play as different, well, not different characters, but like getting to play as characters, um, and then that are part of a about a part of the legal process. Pretty cool. So mm-hmm. yeah, get to play detectives. So it's kind of fun. That's very fun. Do you like the team bondings that we've had so far? Uh, well, so far we only had one, but yes, it was really fun. Uh, we did, did got the job done. I feel bonded to the people who went to the team bonding. Uh huh. Um, do you feel uh, like you can express yourself through Macro? Uh, yes, quite freely. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's not like anybody's trying to stop anyone from talking. Uh, if anyone has a question, you're not treated like an idiot. So mm-hmm. yeah, as far as expressing yourself goes, and also that. Looping back to the first question, you can definitely express yourself um, through your character and whatnot, and not a lot of people will stop you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. Anyways. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> um. So this year, what Mock Trial is going to be doing is we're looking forward to our actual competition season and our scrimmages. We actually have an internal scrimmage coming up on the 23rd which is basically where our prosecution goes against our own defense and then on the 29th we have our first real scrimmage of the year against another school which we're all very excited for um and then for actual finals this year we're gonna be able to go to oakland and take the bar which is really fun because we get to leave school a little early and all just go there and hang out after and the ride there is really fun as well and all is pretty eventful because Oakland is an interesting place to be in. Um, and we're also able to have our trials in an actual courtroom. So it's a really enlightening experience to be able to interact with the real judge and just the environment there. Um, and it's also the Alameda County courtroom. So it's pretty well known, I think. Um, it's a pretty popular courtroom in our area. Um, so yeah, that's basically a base. That's basically like of overview of what mock trial does at American and I hope you guys are interested in learning more about the club either this year or next year thank you anyways thank you guys so much for listening I know that this one's a little out of date just because of what it's published but you know what I'd say is it's not Christmas time yet. I know some people are already starting to listen to Mariah Carey. It's not time. Halloween is forever. Christmas is fake. Halloween is the only real holiday. I'm sorry, every other holiday you just can't compete. It's so fun. So um, just think about it. Halloween year round. I believe in it. I believe in the future we should have year round Halloween. It's just it's that good. Anyways, I will see, not see you guys. I always say, like, I'm going to see you guys next week. Next week, no. Anyways, um, when the next episode is out, you will know and you will hear my voice again. So, anyways, have a great day, Eagles.